Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Stefan Macklin and this is the Autosport National Podcast. Today's podcast is the second part of our look at the top level of the UK's junior single-seater landscape, and in particular the GB3 Championship previously known as British F3 until a mid-season name change. And we'll also be talking about a new for 2022 series, the GB4 Championship, which promises to be an entry-level category in single-seaters. I'm Stefan Mackley, Autosport's Deputy National Editor, and joining me today is Autosport National Editor Stephen Licorice and special guest Jonathan Palmer, ex-Formula 1 driver and Chief Executive of Motorsport Vision, which operates both GB3 and GB4. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for, for joining me today. Um, Jonathan, if I come to you first, as I said just in the beginning there, you know, the illustrious name of British F3, you know, sadly is, is no longer you know, with us. Um, the exact same championship had to change its name to, to GB3 this year. Um, it happened a few months ago now, but you know, for people who are perhaps unsure, you know, sort of why that happened, can you sort of give a quick, you know, overview, you know, around the circumstances surrounding that, and you know, why British F3 is no more, and, and GB3 is is there in its in its place? Yeah, sure. First of all, welcome to all the listeners to the to the uh, the Autosport podcast. Great, great to have you here. First one I've done actually, so it's nice to have the opportunity to chat generally with uh, with Stefan and Stephen about uh, about various things that are going on in our world, particularly of course the single seater world. Uh, yes, the change from name from British Formula Three to GB Three happened. I think it was back in July, August. Um, it was something that had been brewing for quite some time. Um, that uh, originally, those of you who follow the sport more carefully will know that we have BRDC F4 at a time that was before the FIA actually created F4. And because we had it in Britain and because we had the trademark, 
Um, the FIA were understandably keen to have it um, in the UK, have that in the UK for their own FIA Formula 4 championship. When that started in the UK, because we had the name, um, it was actually, as some of you may remember, MSA Formula, or wasn't a great name. Um, but anyway, you know, common sense from our side on that prevailed in that we, um, uh, we, we had discussions with the FIA and MSA at the time. Um, and we agreed to say, look, okay, we'll let you have the um, our trademark uh, in the spirit of cooperation. Um, and whilst you then take over that F4 position with your with your British F4 championship, we'll we'll uh, fill what's clearly a gap um, between an F4 level of performance. And uh, I think I'm not sure if it was GP3 then or or um, or F3. I can't remember on the, on the on the timing, but it was around about that era. Um, and we, we'll, we, we created a new car, which was uh, an evolution. It was a kind of British F4 or international F4 car on steroids. Uh, we used the Tatus. Um, we, we, we gave it a lot more power um, with 225 horsepower, with limited slip diff, more downforce, uh, bigger brakes. <clears throat> and we made it into a car that we agreed with the FIA that was going to be the British F3 car. Um, and... Um, at that time too, the FIA had intended there to be a the, intended there to, for there to be regional Formula Three championships, and uh, we had discussions. You may remember that guys yourselves. We we had discussions with them and said, look, basically we'd be we'd be eager to uh, to, to tender for a Northern European F three championship, which uh, we'd intended would be largely based around around Britain, which the FIA were quite quite happy with. Um, but it, it took a long time, too long, frankly, for the technical regulations of that to be agreed. Um, and by the time, it was about four years, I think, and by the time that they were finally agreed, um, it, it had transpired that the FIA said, well, look, we can't actually use the name Formula 3 Regional um, because of contractual confliction, I think, really, with the rights holder for, for, for FIA F3, that's um, Bruno Michel's company. Um, and that therefore we'd have to stop using the name Formula Three, and uh, and that at the same time too, the what was going to be, I think, this this the Southern European Formula Three Regional Championship just got renamed Formula Regional Europe, or I can't even quite remember. It wasn't a great name. Um, so there's been this hiatus really when there's been FIA Formula Four. Uh, there's been British F F3. <clears throat> um, there's been pressure on us, and, and eventually, to be honest, the pressure built up. And uh, uh, overall, you know, we we have a good relationship as we'd want with the FIA, and we had discussions with them. And when you know, we we try to say, look, can we not go back to this? It really is the sensible name. Is British F3's got huge heritage. We can quite understand that lots of uh, well, various other F3 championships probably don't justify the the use of a prestigious name. But British F3, you know, is one that does. But anyway, um, we we ended up uh, being told, listen to what you say, understand your point. You know, it's reasonable, but I'm afraid you've got to stop using the name. So that, and that point was finally made, and we conceded that at the start of this year, 2021. So then we had the then we had the challenge of finding another name, and it's not easy to find a name that people is going to resonate with people. And I think there's no doubt the Formula Regional is not a good name. I've told the FIA that. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's a it's a botch, frankly, <clears throat> that um, came from them having to stop using Formula Three. Um, but you know, numbers are clearly what we have. In you know, it's all about a number. It could be a capacity. It could be a number. But it needs to be a number to denote a level of hierarchy. 
we accepted the fact that we had to move away from Formula 3, you know, f- f- rather Formula. Um, so I thought about what would be a, I thought very hard about, we came up with all sorts of names, as you guys would, if you're trying to come up with something that was going to st- stand the test of time. And uh, we decided, I decided actually that name GB3 would be good. It was succinct, crisp. Um, and it had the level, oh, and 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 the the FIA. To be fair to them, were, were in agreement. I mean, they were they were they. I think they were they were not completely um, comfortable with the position that they were in, and they wanted to find a sensible resolution with us. So we we, we were like minded on that approach. Um, and uh, the FIA and uh, Liberty agreed the name GB3 with with Motorsport UK. So uh, that came about. Now, some people may have felt it was an odd thing to do in the middle of a season, but I think actually it was a very good thing to do in the middle of the season because um, we had we had all of our teams, we had the drivers, we had the history, we had a good grid, um, and actually just changing it over a race to GB3 meant that there wasn't any uncertainty about you know who who was going to be on the grid which teams were going to be doing it and all those sort of things and it's morphed into formula british formula 3 has morphed into gb3 uh, I, I think superbly i think people in the sport we're actually calling it gb3 um it's a very crisp name it's, it's crisper really than british formula 3 um and um so i think that that's 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 worked well um, and it, it, it's been, I think, partly because the car itself is so good, the racing's so good, the drivers like the car, the teams like the car, um, teams, drivers like the way we run the championship, um, th- that um, that the name, the the new name of the championship has been very well accepted, and now it's it, it's there, it's done. Well, we'll come on to the car in a, in a second, Jonathan, but I just want to bring Stephen in here and, um, and ask him, basically, you know, as Jonathan says there, Stephen, you know, I guess there wasn't going to be a good time to change the name. You know, you could be, could have either done it in the middle of the season or, or the end. Um, I mean, what what do you think about it being changed in the middle of the season? Because I know when sort of the news came out, we knew that obviously MSV had been having discussions with the FIA about the name, you know, for a few years. Um, but it came as a bit of a surprise to us that it was sort of going to happen mid-season, wasn't it, from British F3 to GB3? Well, yeah, as you sort of hinted there, Stefan, that, that it's always difficult choosing when to make these changes but as Jonathan said um, changing it in the middle of the year does really bring some advantages and it means drivers who are sort of looking at what their options are for next year they've already known what GB3 is what it stands for whereas if if it changed to GB3 say now um, there'd be questions about what is that is that actually what British F3 used to be is it something different so I think that the timing of the name change whilst it was perhaps a surprise that it did happen mid-season, I think that actually has worked really well. And as Jonathan says, people have already got used to it and it's already sort of stuck stuck in their minds. And I think having that three in there with the sort of nod back to British F3, that works really well as well. So I think considering it was a difficult situation to deal with, I think it it's had a, a, a good outcome or as good an outcome as it as it could do. I think, um, I know when the name change happened, there was still a few people in the paddock, I think even even myself, who would continue calling it British F3 sort of in, inadvertently. Um, but I think by the final round at Donington, everyone had kind of, you know, nobody was saying British F3 anymore. So, um, you know, I guess that's sort of a success in itself, isn't it? That people have actually, you know, take, taken this new name on. Uh, and, and, and a point in particular as well is, um, you know, the fact that it was changed mid-season, Jonathan, is because, you know, from next year, you know, you mentioned the success of this, the car that was used for this year and the last couple of seasons. But from next year, there's going to be a new car as well in, in GB3. So I guess it was important to get the name change out of the way before this new car came in and people perhaps had a bit of uncertainty about, you know, where this championship was in the pecking order of, 
um, you know, UK single seaters. Um, the car for next year, then, what was the decision to, to change it, uh, you know, for next season? And, um, and what can you tell us about, you know, the car that's going to be introduced? Okay. First of all, prior to just to uh, addressing your, your your final question there, Stefan, about the new car, um, I have to say, I, I still occasionally will call it Formula 3, but like you, the number of times we do is fading. But then you see, I'm still calling uh, you know, uh, British, uh, sorry, FIA F2 and FIA F3. G- I mean, I'm still calling FIA F2 GP2 half the time because, you know, that was a strong name. Um, and uh, GP3, GP2, they were strong names, weren't they? And um, and they lasted well. And, and I'm sure many people, when the FIA F2 and FIA F3 came along, were still calling it GP2 and GP3. So it's a question of... Um, uh, if it's a crisp, easy name that people understand, um, I think it doesn't take too long before it becomes part of it, and that's certainly what's going to happen next year. I think it'll be, it'll be. We, I think, I think all of us will be, will be, will be saying GB3 and uh, of course GB4 you know, as, as appropriate. But back to the new car or the revised car, um, we wanted to make some upgrades to the GB3 car for this year. Um, we wanted to, we wanted to give it more performance. Um, we wanted it to do an even better job at filling this gap between FIA F4 and FIA F3. And there clearly is a gap there. I think everybody knows that, that that's, that's filled by a bit of a mishmash of, uh, uh, not fair to say mishmash, but a, a range of different championships around. Um, and, um, and also what we wanted to do with the performance of the car being, you know, it's significantly higher than F4. Um, it was a good opportunity with the revamp, with the upgrade of the car to change the tub, to put in a, put in a later specification tub with the halo included. Um, we've also, um, Tatus of, uh, have sent the car, the new tub, back to the wind tunnel, and uh, the new is very exciting actually. The, the 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 upgrade, which is quite a lot of the car, it's the tub, it's the bodywork, side pods, um, engine cover, front wing, rear wing. Um, it's got about 20 to 25 percent more downforce, so it's a fair old performance hike on it. And the power of the new, of the car is going up from 225 to 250 horsepower. The engine will rev another 500 revs more. It's still the normally aspirated Eurotech. It's now got the throttle body um, inlets at the side with it, with an airbox that, ironically, we're back to the old Formula Three style of airbox too. So it's it's going to look a great car. It's going to sound a great car, and um, and and it is going to be a bit quicker than the current one. So I think it's going to it's going to reinforce GB3's position in that niche. And there's no doubt the teams, the drivers are all very excited. We're getting a lot of uh, every kit's been sold. Um, and I think we're going to have a very strong grid on it next year. And speaking of the grids, I mean, um, you know, this this year, I think I'm right in saying that the final round at Donington Park had the equal number of most entries that actually rivaled the very first race of the uh, British F3 GB3 in, in 2016. Um, so obviously, you know, like you say, the, the, the numbers are looking good. The teams are, are very happy. It's part of the British GT uh, support package. Just on the performance of the cars, was it important for you to um, to close that gap between uh, yourselves and FAA F3? Because obviously, um, you know, from this year, you had a, you've awarded Zach O'Sullivan, the champion, a two-day test programme. Uh, with Carlin in an FIA F3 car. So obviously you see it as a, a very much a natural progression into that FIA series, don't you? 
Yes, exactly. I mean, and um, and I think GB3 is very well placed to do that. As you say, the the, the winner is a, a new thing for this year, actually. In I mean, in in having uh, having a two day test paid for in FIA F3, and that's we're doing that with Carlin. Um, as, you, as we all know, Zach O'Sullivan's won the championship, and I'm sure he's going to do a really good job in it. Um, and an FIA F3 car has over 400 horsepower, um, and so. It was certainly helpful. I think most championships, um, unless they're constrained by power-to-weight ratios, which clearly FIA F4 is, um, most championships like to sort of improve performance uh, when they can. They don't want to. You know, having said that, it's not. It's important not to take away from the from the raceability of these things and the ability to overtake. But generally, you know, people like to nudge up performance, don't they? Um, and uh, and so that was a good a, a good opportunity. And the other thing is, you know, with Halo coming on the car, and clearly there's more drag with it, there's more weight with it. Um, not too much, but it is there. Um, and that and that does mean that if the if you kept the downforce the same and the power the same, the performance will slow a little, which clearly nobody wants to happen. Um, so um, for all those reasons, I think we've I think we positioned it just right, and we also wanted to make sure though that we kept the running costs of the of the championship, which is great value now. Teams teams really appreciate that. Drivers, of course, too. We wanted to make sure that we didn't lose that either. Um, so I think where we pitched this, I mean, go, for example, going to 300 horsepower um, would have been hugely expensive and it would have probably put another 20 grand on the budgets. Um, whereas uh, just keeping it where we have, we can keep the budgets broadly similar. I think it's a really good compromise. I think the car's going to be an absolute hit. I think it will be, you know, having a... And also the other thing I should mention that having the normally aspirated engine from GB3 um, leading into it is quite good, really, because it has both engines have the same characteristic of that immediate throttle response and, and the crescendoing power delivery that you do get with a normally aspirated engine. So I think it, it, it's, it's a very good um, championship, not just performance, but engine characteristic to lead people into um, into FIA F3. And as, as I think you might have said, Stefan, that we've got guys like Novolak have done really well coming in from um British from uh, one was then British F3 now GB3 so this is clearly a stepping stone that works yeah it's an inter- it's going to be really interesting to see the, the new car in action next next year and it's a very interesting time for uh, the UK's top level of single seaters in general um and no more so with uh, you know your recent announcement or recently um announced championship GB4 for all intents and purposes sort of an entry level championship isn't it into the single seater market Motor racing is never going to be cheap, but it can be made much more affordable for, for young drivers who actually want to get on the single-seater ladder. And you think you, you can do this through this championship, don't you? Exactly, Stefan. This is, this is the key thing. And throughout the history of, of MSV, and even prior to that, really, frankly, throughout my history um, of involvement in single-seater racing, which is extensive, the common theme through everything we've done is providing great value for money. You know, I, I'm a driver who, um, you know, as you probably vaguely recall, um, you know, I had no money coming into motorsport. My, my father was a GP, but he didn't, he couldn't afford to spend a pound on what I was doing. So I had to sort of self-fund myself, which is good. But nevertheless, I, you know, I know what it's like trying to raise the money, and it, and it's bloody difficult. And um, and and also, I just know that it's it's such a it's such a thrill. For me, and I know for you two guys as well, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people love to see the best drivers, uh, the real talent coming through, flourishing and doing well. I mean, it's been Lewis Hamilton, of course, in the past. It's been, we've got George Russell now, which is so exciting. Uh, you know, George Russell came through our, his first single-seater championship year was in uh, 2004. 
14, I think it was, uh, when we when we launched BRDC F4. Um, those sort of budgets were 80, 90,000 pounds then, and that's what George could find the money to do. And he won that championship, and that launched him into uh, F3, F2, and of course F1, and now Mercedes F1, and that's that's so exciting. Um, so look, I, you know, I, I I love seeing I love seeing young talent come through, and the reality is there's more young talent without big budgets than there is with big budgets. And um, and everything we, I've done and that we do as a business tends to be around providing value. You know, the real lower, the lower budget um, value end of it. And that started off with Formula Palmer Audi that, that hit the scene in 1998 when F3 budgets were three, four hundred thousand pounds. And we were doing, a, you know, it wasn't as high a performance car. And in many ways, it, it, it clearly wasn't as sophisticated. But it was pretty good performance, looked good. And for 85,000, it was an absolute bargain. And we had 27 cars in that first year. Of course, um, you know, with it, and it proved to be a championship that lasted 13 years. FIA F2, um, we did, which was £200,000 originally for, for a 450-horsepower Formula 2 car. And then BRDC F4. We've had about 26 years, I think, of doing these championships. So, And that's really what we've clearly, British F3, as we have it, um, and now evolved into GB3, does provide an F3 level of performance for a budget that's around about three hundred thousand pounds is is what you know three hundred maybe three fifty. Um, I mean, British F three when the last bit when it was in the old uh, in the old configuration, they were up to sort of half a million six hundred thousand on that. So, and if it was today, it'd be seven hundred probably with the same rules. So again, GB three and with us running GB three, it's done a great job on that. Um, and then then. Uh, Obviously, there's the FIA um, F4 Championship in the UK, which Motorsport UK are, are running, you know, and and they have set themselves, and I can understand, you know, they've set themselves um, the target of trying to be the best in the world with it. Um, obviously, Italy tends to dominate at the moment, but those sort of budgets, as 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 you Chambers have said, a budget for. Um, Premo with the top team in Italian F4 is four hundred and fifty thousand, and and um, you know, and there are certain number of people who are going to afford that, but uh, there are going to be a lot who just you know that is just even three hundred thousand is far too much for the first step in single seater racing, and um, and whilst I you know fully respect what Formula Four has done, it's been a very successful championship for the FIA globally. There is a need for a lower cost championship. Um, as a starter point and that's where our GB4 championship will fill that niche it's not designed to compete with uh, F with uh, British F4 clearly, clearly there'll be a bit of overlap with the front end of GB4 and the bottom end of, G of Formula 4 um, but what you know we're going to have budgets of half that so what we'll be providing with GB4 is the opportunity for um, for, for young drivers coming out of karting, out of Genetta's, if they can raise 100, 150,000 pounds, they've got no chance of getting into British F4, but they have got a chance, not just a chance, they can get on the single-seater ladder in a, in, a, in a really great car. We all know the Tassus. It's the current car, for example. It's not, you know, the new Gen 2 car's not here yet. You know, we've still got races going on. The Italian Championship's finishing this weekend at, at Monza. The Spanish Championship with these cars, the current um, Tassus. It's a great car, the current uh, F4 car. And we are basically taking that car. Um, clearly, the values have dropped right down because of the advent of the new championship. And this provides 
an opportunity together with running alongside GB3 with the British F British uh, GT Championship and with careful management from us as MSV, the ability to really provide a, a, a starting point for those people that just can't raise budgets over kind of 150, 200,000, which is all very exciting and it fits in very much with our kind of philosophy. For those who who, who aren't aware, obviously Motorsport UK, the, the, the sports governing body in the UK, um, and for any championship, new championship, you know, they have to get permission to, to run. And um, obviously, you know, GB4 has gone through the same process. But it's quite interesting because, as we said in the first uh, part of um, our podcast on single seats with Karun Chandok a couple of weeks ago, you know, Motorsport UK have actually taken over the organisation of British F4. Some people might say, you know, there's a, there might be perhaps a conflict of interest. I know Jonathan has said, you know, GB4 and British F4 aren't direct rivals. Um, but, you know, by no means, I guess, was it a foregone conclusion, especially in terms of 15-year-olds um, being allowed to race as well, that, you know, Motorsport UK would actually grant GB4, you know, that permission to run 15-year-olds and actually have the championship. There's so much change in the, in the world of UK single-seaters for next year uh, with Chef 4 now being run by Motorsport UK and that that meant for an interesting situation in terms of them as a governing body are now also commercially involved in the in the sort of running of of a championship as well and that changes the the dynamics quite significantly in terms of what their role involves um but having said that obviously GB4 is a is a great idea and as Jonathan said it's completely it's targeted at a very different sort of driver to what um, F4 is is sort of aiming at in terms of the budget. Um, but the, the interesting point is, as you say, on, on the 15-year-olds, because at present, uh, only one um, championship in the UK, uh, one single-seater championship in the UK, can have drivers aged 15, and that is British F4. But for next year, uh, the new GB4 championship has been granted the, the, the sort of the ability to run 15-year-olds as well, rather than the standard 16-year-old starting point. And that's that's a, a big... Um, and that was no guarantee that was going to happen. I know Jonathan's worked very hard to, to make that case for that to, to happen. But considering the, the various different commercial interests, the various different involvements of most of the case, there was no guarantee that that would be the case. So that is quite significant because it just opens up uh, GB4 to another group of drivers who can now take part whereas if um if it if that hadn't been the case and say a Janetta junior driver who was 14 or 15 at the end of the year wouldn't be able to make that step up into uh into gb4 if they wanted to whereas now that that avenue is open to them and, and that's quite quite significant i think in terms of giving more options to drivers what they can do depending on their budget and i know i know Jonathan, that's just one of the, the sort of areas that you've been been looking at. But how how sort of important do you think it was to get the the fifteen year olds into GB four? I, I, th I think it it certainly was very important. It wasn't vital, um, but it was very important. Um, I'm very pleased to say now, as you guys know, that um, now, as of last week, following a championship control, following a Motorsport UK championship control panel meeting. But it is all agreed um, that um, you know GB4 is a, it's agreed the name, it's agreed that 15-year-old drivers can drive with the cars, um, and um, and I'm also pleased that Motorsport UK um, have now taken the position that we can work together, we can the championships can complement each other, 
um, and and I, and I, I really think we can do. Um, I have to say, things it hasn't always been that way. Um, if we're being brutally honest, you know, you guys know a bit of the background. Uh, I think a few people were surprised when Motorsport UK announced they were going to be the promoter back in uh, back in June. Um, of the British F4 Championship without it going out to tender. Um, but nevertheless, you know, that's happened and they're clearly very motivated to make it work. Um, I think it, it, it is a difficult position when you get, and it's a, it's a, it's a, a rare one, frankly, and it's almost unprecedented in this country for the, for the ASN, the regulator, to also be a promoter. And of course, it puts on um, big responsibility and pressure on them that, you know, when they're in this situation, there shouldn't be a conflict of interest. Um, in when we launched GB4, um, the signs the signs you know were weren't that they were instantly supportive, shall we say? Um, and uh, we've we've had to work quite hard to, uh, to to make it clear that you know that that uh, this championship with the current cars um, is entitled. It's, it's a logical name. It's a logical championship. Uh, it's a fair championship and, and one that should still have 15 year olds driving in it as it can now. Um, we, we had to make a few points clear. Um, the fact that the FIA had given a two year transition period anyway for the current Gen 1 car, that, that they will not be able to be used from 2024 onwards, but they can for next year in, 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 in any market and 2023. Um, and um, and we also listened, of course, to make sure that we, we got feedback from the medical committees, the safety committee, to make sure that the that the, the, the specific um, characteristics and challenges of 15-year-old drivers and in single-seaters are recognised and adopted, um, at which we were you know, very clearly would have done anyway. Um, but uh, anyway, we, 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 have, we have finally got there. Um, and um, it's, it's the right thing. And we look forward to cooperating, too, with Motorsport UK. Um, but what we really want to get back to is if we could get, you know, even some way back to how things were single seater racing in the 80s. When we used to have when I started Formula Ford, there were three Formula Ford championships, you know, which is um, you can argue is a bit like F4 level. They were all they were all operating. And there was the P&O and the Townsend Torreson and the BRDC and. They all recognised there was a degree of competition, but that was healthy because a bit of competition gave the drivers the opportunity to choose which championships they thought could serve them best, and that's important in any marketplace. Whether or not you, you know, whether you whether you're choosing a single seater championship, whether you're choosing a holiday, or choosing which magazine to buy to read about motor racing, you know, what's <laughs> go on to, isn't it? You know, we're, we're, we're you know most of us are in that market of, of, of which circuit you want to race on, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, so it was it, it's um, it was important that that that, that will happen, but. Anyway, so where, where we're at now is, um, is I think we're some way towards going back to having the UK being much more of a centre um, for single-seater racing. So BRDC F4 did a very good job in that. But if it wasn't for F British F3 and us with, or I should say us with British F3 and GB3, you know, all you would have in single-seater racing in this country is British F4 starting at £300,000. And, you know, it would be, that's going to have, that would have had, a major impact and have been a major deterrent for uh, the UK finding the next Lewis Hamiltons and the next, uh, you know, the next George Russells and Lando Norrises. Um, you know, some say some guys can afford it, but but an awful lot can't. Um, and the other thing is, with with regard to age, I think um, apart from driving the cars, 
uh, apart from the fact that current Tatus, you know, it's got an exemplary safety record. Um, yes, it hasn't got the halo on it, but um, this is a start. This is not a Formula One car, or a Formula Two. You know, it is a Formula Four with with 160 horsepower. It's a very modestly performing car, um, but it has got a whole raft of safety features um, that were part of the whole approval when it started to have 15 year old drivers. I mean, they still exist. Side impact protection, you know, the head protection. It's got wheel tethers. Um, you know, these 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 have. Uh, these are, these are very strong cars, um, and in the 150,000 race laps that these Tatus F4 cars have done, there's never been a serious injury. Now, now of course, you know, no guarantee there won't be, but the, the the track record is there. And when you think for the alternative, if um, you know, when you've got 16 year olds can can actually, if you've got your National A license, you can jump in a 500 horsepower Formula 5000 space frame car from the 70s and be, you know be piling around Alton Park <laughs> it's uh um and of course we've got we've got um you know in motorcycle racing which takes half of MSV's um track activity you've got 12 year olds 13 year olds 14 year olds you know racing motorcycles out there and you know that and I think the other thing that's happened and I was talking to Derek Warwick about this is that it's actually turned out that they, the 15 year olds have got a lot of ability and a lot of maturity these days and um um, so and of course the teams are the teams are very proficient and things. So uh, you know you can see from Janetta Juniors at fourteen years old that's um, that you know there's quite a lot of skill levels and uh, emerging very young anyway. So anyway, overall look, we're we're really we're really excited about where we're at. We're delighted we got there with uh, with the fifteen year olds uh, in GB4. And I'm really pleased too that we've 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 now evolved um, with Motorsport UK. We've got a good relationship with them now. Um, you know, it hasn't always always hasn't always been like it in the next last month, but we are there now, I think, and we want to work together and and have our range of championships, GB4, British F4, and GB3, all working together to really pull back the centre of gravity of single seater um, um, driver development to the UK. Just, um, I just want to pick up on something you said there, Jonathan, about um, the budget for British F4 and what you believe it to be is around the £300,000 mark. I don't think we've actually said, what What do you sort of estimate teams will be um, requiring for GB4? Because it's, as you say, it's substantially less, but sort of what sort of figure is it? Is it between sort of about 100,000 is it sort of yeah i think yeah i think obviously depending on the team Stefan, i think you're going to be teams will be between 120 and 150,000 um for for the for the for the championship i mean there would be one can wonder where where the cost savings are well of course the actual cars first of all there are a lot of these gen 1 cars around now because of the gen 2 coming car coming up and they are not expensive you know you can buy a complete Tatus current Formula Four car with engine for twenty five thousand pounds, twenty seven thousand pounds. You know, a, a, a new Gen Two car is going to be sixty thousand, seventy thousand. So, you know, there's, there's there's a big difference there. Um, and you know, look, of course, to an extent, you get what you pay for. But the performance of the cars is going to be pretty similar because that's the whole that's the whole ethos of it. Um, but then on top of that, in terms of where we can make we can make savings, GB Four will run alongside GB Three. Um, at the British GT meetings and the team's ability to, a GB3 team's ability to have one side of their awning GB3, the other side of their awning GB4, um, that in itself means that kind of one team manager, the engineers can spread themselves, the, the mechanics can be involved in both championships if one car's a big shunt, things like that. But another big saving is on the spares because both the GB4 car and the GB3 
will actually use the same, they use the same suspension components. Um, the wings are admittedly different, but we all know that corners are the most likely things to get bent on these things. There's also a big stock of old parts for these things, whether it's um, front wings, rear wings. And it's important to say that whilst we call these cars old, they're, they're actually current. We're not, it's not like we're resurrecting a five-year-old car here. And they're great cars, and they've got plenty of life left in them. Some of you guys remember, I mean, I don't know how long uh, when my son Will was in Renault Eurocup. I think they were in about the 10th year with that car. I mean, certainly we of MSV have got a lot of experience running championships. We've got a business that owns six circuits. We've got a lot of other things we do. So we can absorb the overheads of running a championship pretty easily and keep the actual component that needs to go into the costings. For things like entry fees and championship fees, we can keep this minimised. Um, and... Uh, and, and just you know, generally in the way that you know we own the circuits, we can we can we can help drive, we can help the teams, help the drivers by keeping costs minimal. And it's really important we will do. We don't want this. It's really important this doesn't that that it doesn't uh, have budgets rising up to British Formula Four levels. And indeed, it would be stupid to do so because British F four British F four would be a great championship. Anybody with three hundred three hundred fifty thousand pounds will logically go and do British F four. I guess with any championship, the proof of how successful it's been is the number of teams and cars that are on the grid. Um, current GB3 teams, such as Carlin and Chris Dittman Racing, have already said that they won't be doing GB4 and they're going to be doing British F4 next season. Are you concerned about entry numbers for next year at this stage or are you confident that it's going to be successful? That's a very important point, Stefan. You know, how big the grids are going to be, which teams are going to be there, which drivers is the, is the, is the bottom line of it. That's what's going to make it a success or not. Um, am I concerned? Not in the slightest. Um, I, I know that we've got we've got a very compelling proposition. Um, and uh, in terms of the number of teams that are signed up at the moment and, and on it, uh, our launch has been our launch has had to go on hold a bit in reality whilst this issue of of, of the fifteen year olds was resolved because the teams wanted to know and it was very important. The teams wanted to know that actually that they could accept fifteen year old drivers because. You know, it's going to be rather perverse to have a 15-year-old driver um, able to do, uh, or only able to start single-seater racing if they could find 350, 300,000 uh, pounds. And so that was an important step. Uh, now that we've got there, uh, we're, we're, we're seeing a rapid um, build-up now of interest from teams and drivers. It's one thing having the teams in it, but the other things you need to do is get the drivers doing it. And, um, and and I don't think there are any too many drivers announced in anything yet. British F4, GB3, um, GB4. It's Jan Feb before you really start to see you know, how these things are going. Um, but as I said, what, what, we've, what we've got with GB4 is, is such a compelling proposition for those with sub 200,000 budgets. And as I say, now that we've got the 15-year-olds competing, um, we, we've got quite well over the next over the next few weeks. We're going to have quite a lot of exciting news coming forward about GB4 uh, with various announcements, um, all of which will make it clear that, th that this is going to play a major role in the spectrum of British single seater championships. It's a very interesting time for you know top level junior single seater racing in the UK. Um, you know, with with three, you know, for, for next year, 
Um, Jonathan had mentioned, you know, sort of back in the day, you know, it, it wasn't unusual to sort of have three Formula 4 championships, um, you know, and, and competition was good. Um, both Jonathan and, you know, when we had Karun on a couple of weeks ago, you know, they were saying that GB4 and British F4, are, you know, are not rivals to each other. You know, they're very much sort of taking up their own space in the, the marketplace. Um, obviously, you know, you, you cover British F4, you know, you've done it for a few years. You know, how, how do you think it's going to get on with GB4 and British F4? you know, both being championships next year, you know, do you think that they can, you know, I guess survive together and, and not uh, take from each other's grids in a way? Obviously, as Jonathan says, you know, very much a different sort of entry point with budgets, but, uh, you know, it's it's always the same, isn't it? You know, if, the, if, if it's the same drivers who the championships are going for, you know, it could, you know, one could quickly have more, many more numbers than the, than the other. How do you think it's going to go? Well, that's the, that's the big question now, isn't it? But I think it, as... Jonathan and you mentioned Karun as well have said there is that clear difference between the two of the the two of the series in terms of budget and that does mean that they're not direct rivals in terms of of that side of things but at, at the same time we do have to obviously realize that there are there is a limited number of people out there with the the budget to go single seater racing even if it is considerably less than the 200,000 but that's not to say that both of them can't be successful I mean if you look back at sort of uh, 10 20 years ago there used to be two Formula Renault championships in the UK Formula Renault UK and Formula Renault BARC and one of those had a slightly older car was a lower price point than the Formula Renault UK main series and both of those there was a time when they were both very successful championships and worked alongside each other. And there's no reason why that can't be the case again with um, with F4 and GB4. Uh, and ultimately, it will, it will come down to driver preference, driver interest and, and budget as well. Because if, if a driver has got unlimited budget, then F4 is... of is probably the, the more natural choice to go to. But how many people are there in that position? Very, very few. And that's where GB4 comes in. And if, if GB4 can attract people in that otherwise wouldn't have done single-seaters at all, they'd have switched to tin tops or GT cars, then that will be, and if they can keep them involved in the single-seater side of things, that will be a massive boost to the UK scene. It will make a real difference. And the, the question that we will after wait and see and wait until the sort of the season begins is how many drivers are there in that position uh, and that will be the the sort of the key factor but the, the, on paper they are very different championships so there's there's no reason why they can't both succeed and now it's just down to to the sort of interest levels from from prospective drivers and, and teams and which way they end up they end up going but it'll be as as we said it will be fascinating to see how the the next six to eight months sort of shake out and how the championships are all looking by the time they, they start next April. I think I think um, <clears throat> something that, that is really important, and I, I suspect you guys would agree, that fundamentally we have to recognise that, that, that we are here um, as championship organisers <clears throat> to try and provide the drivers with, with, with the best package for them. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's their money. I mean, it will... It really should be. Um, it should be an open market. You need open market competition um, and opportunity and different offerings at different prices. 
um, to actually serve a marketplace. It's not just about having one product, say that's all you can buy. You know, it's the only championship you can do, um, or that's the only road car you can buy, or that's the only magazine you can buy. You know, life's not like that, you know, and and uh, any sort of approach like that is just cost inflationary. We know it is to, for someone to have a monopoly on a service. Um, but fortunately, motor racing is not like that, and nor should it be like it. And there will be, therefore, to the benefit of the competitor, there'll be pressure on all of us. There'll be pressure on us as MSV. There'll be pressure on uh, Motorsport UK for, with British F4 to make our championships appealing, to make them good value, to make them attractive. And that's, you know, if one doesn't have the, that competition, and there is a bit of overlap, sure, but there isn't everything. You know, no one's got a right to have a patch of market totally protected. Um, and uh, that competition is good for the consumer. It's vital for the consumer. And we're going to get a we're going to get more more talented British drivers making it through to Formula One because of this sort of approach. And that's what that's that's the most important thing that we should be thinking about as an industry in this country is what can we do to help get the the most uh, to get the most British top talent coming through, and when they do get a Formula One, win world championships like Lewis has done. It's it's so important for us all. I, I don't think anyone can disagree that the more opportunities there are for young drivers at a, a lower entry, uh, not a lower entry point, a lower financial point to, to enter, you know, is no bad thing. And as you say, you know, if it means that we can find the next Lewis Hamiltons and you know George Russells, then you know, again, I don't think anyone's going to you know begrudge begrudge the championship you know of, of existing for, for that reason. Um, I mean, we've mentioned at various points in the podcast about the illustrious history of British F3, and you know, sadly, that name is you know obviously no longer being used. But um, you know, obviously, it's been around for for decades before that, Jonathan. And um, this year is a very special year because it's the the 40th anniversary of when you actually won the championship in 1981. Looking back and and sort of remembering those uh, those races from that season, what do you remember sort of the most? Well, certainly, yeah, Stefan, I've got I've got great memories from that year, 1981. British F3. It was a fairy tale year, really. You know, it was my first year of professional racing. 1980, I was still a doctor on, on hospital wards in um, in Sussex. I was trying to fit in Formula Ford racing with 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 working 100 hours a week, which was a bloody challenge, but somehow I managed to do it. And then I decided I'd take a year off. If I was going to go with F3 and justify it, I'd take a I'd take a year off. But the whole way it happened, I said it was fairy tale stuff. I managed to persuade my sponsor at the time, a chap called Mike Cox with the little engineering company in Formula Ford. This was that look, we've got to go Formula Three next year, Mike. You know, I'd always try and excite him about doing the next doing the next step. And I said, look, what we want to do, we were based down at where, where WSR is. I mean, WSR came out of my relationship with Dick Bennett. So um, the little workshop where West Surrey Engineering were based in uh, you know down down near Summary. Um, that 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 became our little workshop base alongside Mike's engineering factory. We went and I, I found I thought the best thing to do is to go, let's just see if we can buy the championship winning car from this year, Stephanie Hansen's route. So uh, Mike Cox and I went down and we bought the car. Uh, well, actually, the first thing that happened actually, I think before we even bought it, um, was that uh, we we said we, Mike said, look, I want to see how Jonathan goes in a test. So we went to Goodwood. Uh, Project 4, which was run by Ron Dennis at the time. Dick Bennett was the engineer. They took the car down to Goodwood. Stefan Johansson was the benchmark. 
and um, and Stefan drove around and, and I think he did a 14.8 or something, probably not far off the truth. I jumped in and within sort of 20 laps, I'd done a 14.9. So at that point, everyone was saying, wow, perhaps this guy can drive a Formula 3 car. So Mike said, yeah, I'll buy the car. We bought the car. I then uh, I then badgered. I thought we you know, this guy Dick Bennett is the bloke we need to get here to run this thing. We you know we knew nothing about running cars really. I I just run my Formula Four car myself. You know I'd be lapping in valves and changing engines and changing ratios myself. So um, I was I was badgering Dick on the phone from the UK. He was in. He'd gone back to New Zealand to to, to run a guy down there in uh, in in the series. Anyway, eventually I about literally two months managed to get him back, and he was most concerned that we had a good budget and that you know he said you know he knew that we would you know we had we were starting from zero, and of course I told him that we we're going to get all the personnel to do it properly. We get the budget and check this and that and the other. Uh, and of course, I didn't really know. So then, anyway, eventually he came out and he arrived, and we said, "Right, where's the workshop?" And it was like a double garage, a bit of a lock-up garage alongside the main West Surrey Engineering Factory. Um, and um, so he said, "So what are we doing for mechanics?" And we said, "Well, we got a mechanic, and we got a we got a lad driving the truck, and that's the team." And he said, "Really?" And he said, "Well, what about a spare engine? We don't have a spare engine, like um, Dick." So God, we could, so after race four, we lashed out and got a spare engine. But anyway, so it really started on a shoestring. We had this old Ford A series, like a glorified transit of the day, night transporter that you'd laugh at. You you'd put a you put a banger in it, a stock car track. Let alone any, you wouldn't even have put a caterer in it these days. Went to the first race, put it on pole position at Silverstone in the first race, and uh, first F three race, uh, and then flunked the start in the wet and dropped down to fifth and. Um, Managed to overtake everybody in the woodcut pretty much, largely because I couldn't see what the hell was going on. So I just kept my foot flat till I could see something, by which time I was at the front of all the spray. And then panicked, I realised woodcut corner was coming up. Teetered around the outside because there was no way I could make the inside line. And everybody thought, what a clever bloke this is, understanding where the grip is, which was a complete joke. I was just, I just couldn't stop the thing. Um, teetered around the outside, overtook Mike White for the lead and won my first race. So, and actually won the next three and leading the championship and... Um, uh, and, and it was it said it just carried on like that. But we were we were about to stop racing so many times. You know, you guys may recall, but I've got a. I might if you don't recall it, I'll send you an advert I found in one of my archives of you know back a future British F1 star buy a sticker for a pound. Um, I sold I think we sold three thousand of those, which got me through two more F3 races. Um, but it was lurching along off by mid season. You know. Mike was saying, look, we really can't, you know, we are going to have to stop, we're going to have to stop. He was probably doing it deliberately, whether he would have actually stopped or not, I don't know. But we got through the year. Um, we got through the year and we spent £50,000 that year on Formula 3. Um, I even finished with the same nose cone I started with, so it was a pretty, you know, damage-free. But, you know, it was a big era. You know, two years later, Senna was driving and made his thing. But, you know, those cars, they had 160 horsepower, the same as the British F4 car now. Um, we need to look at the lap time actually. If Stefan, when we get around to our test, we we need to see how uh, on the same. Actually, we should try and find a track that hasn't changed much. Thruxton's probably a good example um, to see how the lap times compare. Um, but it was a magical time. I remember, I was doing that well by the middle of the season. Um, <clears throat> that uh, John McDonald, who was, had the Ram Rothmans Formula One team, offered me the drive in the Grand Prix, the British Grand Prix. Can you imagine that now? 
um, from 160 horsepower single seater to come and take part in the British Grand Prix in six, in four months. I said no because I just thought, Jesus, I mean, a car clearly wasn't very good. The Ram, and I, I was reason realistic about my abilities. You know, yes, I'd, you know, I'd won. I was leading British F3, but I was in a very good team, and I was very good at actually. Dick and I worked really well at setting up the car, getting the setup absolutely bang on. I was very technical. Dick was technical. We were both fanatical. We both we we both worked so well. We we'd be in the truck going over springs and corner exit speeds until seven at night, you know, and just applied a lot of effort to it. And I was very sensitive to get the right balance. I wouldn't say I would ever been the, the, the ballsiest sort of driver, but I was very good at technically getting the car set up to be quick. And, and that served me in good stead. So by the end of that year, I won the British Formula 3 Championship. And um, I had uh, I had tests from, uh, I won the test with the McLaren MP4. Ron Dennis engineered me um, at Silverstone. And I put in a time that would have put me on the second row of the grid for the British Grand Prix. I tested with Williams, tested with Lotus, so all that within nine months of hanging up my stethoscope. So, yeah, you can say that that, that was that was one of those fate. You can see why I call it a fairy tale year, can't you? You took eight wins during the season, five seconds. You, you led the championship throughout, but then you know the end of the season, you know, you're testing for McLaren, Lotus. I think did you say Williams as well? A fairy tale, and it really showed just how important that win, that championship win w- was. You know, and how important British F3 was, and how respected the championship was as well. I mean, like you say, you know, we, we, we talk about Senna and Brundle in 1983 and, you know, them immediately jumping into Formula One. So, you know, for you, it must, it really sort of, I guess, would it be fair to say sort of made your career? You know, the fact that absolutely. you... Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you absolutely did, Stephen. It really put me on the map. Um, and actually, I've just said another part of that season that, that contributed to the fairy tale, which is 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 one of, of not a, a smooth path you know up the ladders there are there are a fair few snakes as well because it's real life and motorsport Clinched it with all with a win with three races to go and then we thought and this was of course you know this was this was sort of utopia bliss you know i was there i could relax i could enjoy the last three races and um so then we went to silverstone <clears throat> silverstone grand prix circuit and as ever dick was always fiddling around with the car and how he could make it a little bit better um, these these were ground effect cars, as you as you'll recall, and they had the skirts were important and the little ceiling. And anyway, you know, one of the things Dick did, he he he, he put a few more little tweaks on the thing. Um, did the race at Silverstone? I think maybe I finished third or something. Got disqualified. Uh, I got protested because a bit of a bit of a new bit Dicky had put it on the car. Um, a bit of ceiling between the inner of the side pod and the tire extended behind the axle line which was apparently in breach of you know something or other so somebody obviously had it in for us i know who it was actually but um they they said they protested and then and the penalty for a successful protest which and, and ultimately we lost um was that i lost two maximum scores from my championship so suddenly i'd lost two um win winning scores so of course that put me right back and, and i wasn't leading anymore so um i had to go and so I was mortified, as you can imagine. So I got no points from Silverstone, lost two maximum points. So far from being, far from being the delighted uh, Formula 3 Championship winner, I was back again. Next race was Snetterton, penultimate one. I think I, I, think I, put, it, I, think I put, put it on pole or front row or something. It's a big start line shunt. A load of cars got damaged, including mine. Um, and there's absolute. I would love to have had a video of the work going on in the on 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 the grid. And I can't remember if it was just on the grid or in the. Must know they were back in the garages. Um, the start was delayed for 20 minutes, and you know it was, my car was well damaged. 
Um, anyway, Dick and the mechanics did a amazing job. One's uh, putting it back together, bodging things, bashing it with hammers, making it somehow be vaguely square. I know that the right-hand side of the car was half an inch shorter than the left because of the damage that was done to it. Anyway, I just, it couldn't get it out in time for the grid, so I started from the back of the field. Um, and have you got? I don't know if you've got the stats there, Stefan. Did I win it? I think I did win it. I think I came through from the back, won that race again, and... And then with the final one at Thruxton, won the cha won the championship again for the second time. I think I'm the only person that's won a Formula Two championship twice in one year. Formula Three championship twice in one year. If it's the October the 11th uh, round at Snetterton, then uh, yes, you you did win, and you also took the fastest lap in that race. So okay, right. Well, that was from the back. That was from the back of the grid in a car that had been bodged up, repaired after after first start line shunt. You're going to have to go and, have to go and dig out your, your autosport archives. It's probably Jeremy Shaw writing it in those days. Well, uh, yeah, I've, I've just read the uh, the autocourse uh, season review that, that Jeremy did write. So, um, but yeah, and no, he he's described you as basically the driver of the season, and um, yeah, just obviously, like you say, you know, you wrapped up the championship sort of with a few rounds to spare, and um, it's just, I mean, at that at that moment in time, I mean, did you ever imagine that you know, sort of 35 years later, you know, you'd be owner of a championship also called you know british f3 bringing that name back and not not in the slightest no not, not in the slightest but that was such a as you say stefan it was such an important it really set my career up because then i had ron Toronac from route obviously they were route cars um which was the kind of tatters of the day i guess wasn't it um they were he was um he was running the, the honda the form he was running a team in in european formula two which was the european the formula two championship um march were in it maurer and i mean people like stefan belloff of course were in it, all those guys um and and uh honda were providing the v6 power units for it and and it was on the back of my championship f3 win that i got the test and then the drive in honda and f2 so that that was a huge step, not just because I moved to F2 in a very competitive team, um, which ultimately led to me winning the championship in 83, but also, which is another whole load of stories, um, but um, it was also important because uh, that was the first time, actually, I got paid to drive. You know, I got actually I got a salary from uh, I got I got my Honda Accord saloon, you know, car with, you know, Mike Thatwell and I and we were paid. I think I got 10 grand to drive that season. So I was a professional driver. And that was a, that was a massive breakthrough. It's it's just incredible, isn't it? It's sort of almost kind of come full circle, you know, from forty years ago, from your title winning, you know, campaign in British F three to now providing, um, you know, a, a, a step on the ladder for you know young drivers who have their own aspirations on a career, and um, you know, obviously with GB four as well, you know, it's uh, it's allowing even more drivers, you know, to, to hopefully, you know, achieve their dreams that you did of you know getting to Formula One and, and racing there. So um, no, that's that's great. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time today. As ever, it's always really appreciated. And, and thank you to Stephen as well for joining me. Uh, and thanks for, for listening at home as well. Um, be sure to check out autosport.com for all the latest stories and uh, make sure to check the Autosport magazine, which is released every Thursday. But uh, thanks again, guys, and thanks to you listening at home. Until next time, goodbye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.